Welcome to the Mocktail Hour. It's the Mocktail Hour, and I have been looking forward to this all week long. Oh, I'm glad. (laughs) This is for the sober curious. And the alcohol free as fuck. That's right. Free being the operative word. As somebody who was pretty certain that she couldn't live without alcohol, um, I'm happy to say that not only am I, (laughs) this sounds so corny, I'm not only living without alcohol, but I'm living the best life I ever could, Sonny. Did you know that? I'm so free. Oh my God, you sound like one of those bladder leakage ads. (laughs) (laughs) I'm free, I'm living my life. Oh, wait a second. I have to go to the bathroom. Can you hold on just for a minute? Just ah. <laughs> just mentioning my bladder makes me want to run. <laughs> you know, the marketing people have stolen freedom from us. And freedom is, yeah, definitely an operative word for me as far as feeling. Feeling free from alcohol and feeling free in your life, right? Yeah. Yeah. Free from hangovers, free from guilt, free from missing out on opportunities, probably free from, you know, really bad habit and and being a poor listener. I think I spent my formative years being a really bad listener. Yeah. And I I come from a long line of listeners. You can just ask my husband. Uh, When he first met my family, he sat in the room and with Yeah, my family, my mom's side of the family, they're terrible listeners. They just talk. They just fill the space. They just yak, 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 yak. Yes. So when my husband first met my family, he just sat in the room slack jawed and couldn't believe that everyone was sitting here talking so much and not saying anything and not interacting and not responding because, you know, we all had a drink in our hand and we were all just like, barfing words, you know, (laughs) but that's what happens when you drink, right? You just kind of like barf out words and they don't really mean anything. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, totally. I come from a long line of kind of Scots Irish types. And then my, my ex-husband's family, my partner's family who are also in the Irish vein, not to dump on Irish people, but there's a lot of not listening going on. Right. You know, Mm. people just blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So I think that's my greatest gift since I stopped drinking is the ability to really hear things and listen and process more and not dismiss. I feel like I was much more of a dismissive person. Oh, you'll be fine. He'll be fine. (laughs) It's no big deal. You know, blow, blow, blow it off, blow it off. Um, you know, including emotions, you'll be fine. Oh yeah. Yeah. You'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Look at the silver lining. Buck up. Think about how lucky you are. Right. I think the freedom includes having the freedom to feel your, all the feels, right. All the feels, the sad ones too. Yeah. And I think this plays into an important part about quarantine is that early on people that were upset were crying and I didn't manage to cry through this entire process. I just 
bottled it up because I was raised to not cry. My mom always said, oh, don't cry. You don't need to cry. It's no big deal. And I took that as, as not to cry. And so I really, I mean, it takes a freight train of disaster to get me to tear up, I tell you. <laughs> what well, about you? I, oh, yeah, I come from, you know, everybody said, don't cry. Like, actually, my uncle Howard actually said to me once that it was okay to have feelings just as long as you don't let anyone know what they are, right? Oh. Verbatim said that. Like, usually that's an unspoken instruction, but he actually said it out loud, which I thought was kind of funny. I have trained myself to cry. In fact, I would say that on a scale of one to 10, I'm about a nine and a half on willingness to cry over anything. <gasps> wow. Yeah. yeah. If you say the right thing today, I'll burst into tears. <laughs> Although I got weepy on one of our podcasts, but that was just PMS. So if I have a healthy dose of PMS, I can muster up some tears. But <laughs> as far as through the pandemic, I've, I've really had a hard time processing it. And I've ended up with a, a few series of panic attacks that were unpleasant. But I had a few friends, including you, that gave me a few tips on how to keep those at bay. So I've been doing good. Keep those at bay. I'm, well, I don't know. I mean, my advice is to go right into that feeling and flush it out. You know, I know we just had mother's day. Mother's day was Sunday and, um, I was doing fine. I had to work. So there was no, you know, mother's day brunch or anything. There wouldn't be anyway with the shelter in place. And neither of your boys are in town, right? Are they both out of town? Yeah, they're both. They're in different places, which I think is good. One's in New Zealand and one's in Virginia right now. But I was standing in the kitchen with the handyman and he said something like, uh, would you like to have a hamburger or a salad for lunch? And I just started crying, weeping uncontrollably. Oh. <laughs> and he, he was looking at me like... <laughs> Did I do something right? <laughs> did I did I say something wrong? You you're, anyway. you suddenly woke up a vegan and was crying over the cow. <laughs> Could have been. Yeah. Anyway, now you've got some real um, drama going on there at your house. I think you said that you've been playing Florence Nightingale. Is that right? Yes. Um, with the pandemic, I think the, the healthcare professionals are, are blowing off, literally blowing off like people's <laughs> ailments. Right. Um, and my son has been having a, a mystery stomach ailment pretty much since the pandemic and it hasn't been cleared up. My daughter went swimming last week in the bay and came back with a really mean ear infection and Mm. And she's, she's been really under the weather the last couple of days with pain. So yeah. And then on top of that, my cat dragged in this baby bird, baby duck. <laughs> we were talking about ducks just last episode, remember? I know. It's so weird. It, our cat just laid this baby duck on our lawn one morning. We were both in bed and we went, is there a duckling on our lawn? <laughs> And uh, 
It was the cutest thing ever. And uh, we had it for a good 24 hours before it got stuck on his back and decided to give up on life. But Mm. (laughs) which, of course, I blame myself for. But, uh, you know, who knows if the thing had eaten anything I'd given it. And I did my best. I watched you on Instagram. I saw the picture of the of you holding the little duckling a video holding that sweet little yellow duckling yellow as a lemon all fuzzy kind of you could almost see its little heart beating in your hand yeah and I thought and I thought to myself oh this is bad right (laughs) (laughs) this is not cute and you even (laughs) warned me on my Facebook you said oh you might as well just roll that thing over on with your car or something. I was like, okay, Cynthia, do you want me to sit on the dock or do you want me to like accidentally get it caught in the doorway? I'm not quite sure how I'm going to put it out of its misery here without any sort of heavy heart. Well, small birds, small birds like that, that I have known, one did get crushed in a doorway. Another was snatched up by a hawk. It was a chicken that I was given for Easter, a little baby chick. <gasps> What a bad idea. Like you go down to the drugstore or whatever, and they're selling baby chicks for Easter for your kids. So my mom gets one and they had dyed them like Easter eggs. So this chick, my mom used to tell me stories about that (laughs) at the dime store. They would dye them different colors. It's so gross. (laughs) Well, this one was blue. It was a blue chick. And at some point, I think my like a couple days after Easter, I'd lost interest. And my mother gave the chick to our babysitter and she lived on a farm. And then I heard a few days later that a hawk had swept down and taken the chick away. And I, I think I dreamed about how the fact that it was blue made it especially attractive to this hawk, right? Oh, God. <laughs> There's a blue chick. Complete gross true story. My mom used to tell me about that in Texas. They would sell just like you said. And then after everyone wouldn't be like, okay, we're bored. What do I do with these chicks? And (laughs) she had a sadistic uh, next door neighbor who was like a, a real like, I'm trying to imagine in television who this kid would be like, probably like the bully in the Christmas story, like, Really sadistic and mean. Yeah. Like going Yeah, like like coonskin cap and (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna get you and I I mean she was terrified as a kid. I don't know how many bullies these days wear coonskin caps, but yeah, I definitely picked up. They need to bring it back. (laughs) So anyway, she told me this story when I was little and I, I was pissed at her for weeks that she told me the story, but apparently the kid got all the Easter chicks and buried them in the yard <gasps> up to their necks and then got oh, the lawnmower oh, oh. and took the lawnmower over oh. and ran over the heads of all the baby chickens, like cackling. Oh, that's awful. I mean, he probably grew up to be a serial murderer. Well, I'm sure that your mother was telling the truth, but that is a little bit of an urban legend. You know, you hear about that happening with cats and stuff, the lawnmower, decapitation, (laughs) decapitation by lawnmower. It could be. She likes to embellish. (laughs) (laughs) She likes her tall tales. Who knows? But that's just awful. That's so, yeah. 
I know. So yeah, I did feel a pang of guilt that I didn't keep Ducky alive, but you know, he was so tiny and when he fell on his back, he couldn't get back up. So I bet he just <laughs> wiggled himself to death trying to roll back over. Uh, wait, I'm sorry. He was caught somewhere, right? It wasn't just like... He fell into a little like, you know, ridge inside the cat carrier. So, it, you know, created a little bit of a a barrier for him to be able to work his way back up to standing. So I think he just tired himself out. He was in the cat carrier because that was a safe place to be, right? Yeah, that was the only thing we had with, no, that was the only thing we had that we could contain him in and, you know, put food in. And of course, the very smell of the predator that had dragged him onto your lawn was probably a little bit upsetting too. Oh, no. Yeah. The cat spent the whole time on top of the carrier upside down, looking inside, you know, like a grim fairy tale waiting. Yeah. But it was really cute because the dog turned into its protector. And anytime the cat was on the carrier, the dog would run her off. It was very cute. She turned into a little ducky auntie. Oh, now was the duck alive long enough to get a name? Oh, we just called it Peepers. Oh, so sweet. I named it Damien later because it had red eyes, so I thought maybe it was a devil duck. (laughs) Well, I hope not, since it met its demise in your cat carrier. I know. But yeah, I've been keeping myself busy. I started a, a daily yard sale, which has helped me remain connected to people on their walk, you know, when they walk past my house. I don't really care if they buy anything, but it's, it's a great chance to get people to stop and chat. And for an extrovert in quarantine, that's major. You have a bunch of clothes on a rack or something out on the sidewalk. Is that how it's working? I do. You probably already know this about me, but our audience doesn't. I'm a vintage hoarder a hoarder of vintage clothes. So I, I'm a picker. I go to Goodwill and I pick clothes and I either wear them or I keep them to sell. And I have two dealers. I have one in the city and I have one in Oakland and I sell to them. Although with Depop now online, it's a really, it's like Instagram for vintage. I'm able to actually just sell direct. So I'm kind of moving away from dealers right now, but the garage sale is really just an excuse for me to hassle passerbys. Do you yell at them? Do you say things as they come come by your house? Yeah, I mean, I usually say good morning, and if they ignore me, I usually call them a bitch or an asshole as soon as they've passed. <laughs> <laughs> and I oh, know God. there's certain ones I already know that won't say hi to me ever, so I don't even bother, but, you know... <laughs> It's kind of fun. I should probably record myself saying hi to people and then like trashing the ones that don't say hello. I wish you would. You could do that thing like the kids in the hall guys used to do where they'd say, I crush your head. I crush you. I I crush your head. (laughs) I I crush it. I love that skit. Oh, yeah. Well, I think you should do some I crush your head things with your yard sale videos oh okay that'd be a good thing for the social media yeah for the interwebs yes so I guess it's clear that we've been in the middle of shelter in place and um 
you had your duck, you were forced to watch the demise of your duck. Yes. I found myself watching the the show Normal People. I don't know if you've heard about this. I heard it's fantastic, but I don't have Hulu and I can't handle all the different ways you have to watch TV these days. (laughs) Well, it is, it is indeed on Hulu and, um, I recommend it. I think it's it's a very good piece of television. But, you know, you were having to watch a duck. If you're watching normal people, you're having to watch people fuck. This Ooh. very attractive, yeah, this attractive young Irish couple. Like for the first episode or two, it was very kind of sexy and romantic. But then after a while, I was kind of like, oh, my God, they're taking their clothes off again. They're going to do it again. (laughs) (laughs) And it wasn't titillating. It was kind of gratuitous. No, no, it was, it was pretty titillating and not in a porno way. And so that made it actually a little bit uncomfortable. Like I kept wanting to like grab one of the pillows on the sofa and kind of put it in front of my face. Right. Just to, just because I felt a little embarrassed. So I think that made for good TV. Wow. It looks like I need to watch it. Oh, yeah. But don't watch it with your teenagers. No, no. No, But do you watch it with the handyman or by yourself? I do watch it with the handyman. And that's one of the reasons I keep putting the pillow up. Like, I just don't want him to see me watching it. (laughs) It's kind of... God forbid I should get any ideas to touch you in the bedroom. No. (laughs) I mean, there's all kinds of full frontal everything in the movie done very tastefully. Like they had the same sex coach for the actors that they did for the, the series Sex Education. Oh, I didn't watch that either. So it's pretty good sex as far as TV goes. A little bit on the realistic side. Yes. Wow. Makes it a little cringy. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to get on the Hulu train, I guess. (laughs) Okay. So, um, well, anyway, watching TV and and, uh, trying to keep baby ducks alive is one way to cope with being quarantined. But another way that a lot of people we know have been finding to cope is to drink more, drink more alcohol. And amazing giant gallon shit tons of alcohol, according to all the stats. My God. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think I read like the sales were up like 240% or something. Is that possible? I read something like 55% in March, but maybe it's gone up by another 150 in April. No. Maybe it's a lot. People are drinking a lot and there's a lot of domestic violence is up. You know, everywhere you look online, you see evidence of what's going on. I did read that. I read that through a a UK source though. So I wasn't sure if it, I'm sure it was happening just as much here as in the UK. What drinking more or domestic violence? No, domestic violence reports. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think people in America resort to domestic violence as much as they do in the UK. (laughs) It's probably safe to say. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, drinking has been modeled for us so many times. It's just the easy fix when things are, when things are good or when things are bad, right? Like, 
Mm-hmm. If, if you achieved something or you graduated or you got married or you'd had a baby, whatever, it's a great time to have a drink. And on the other hand, if the going gets rough, that's a great time to have a drink. Yeah. And then you have to deal with the come down and then you have to have another drink to sort of keep that status quo happening. <laughs> exactly. And it's a kind of a no-win situation because it's an endless loop of, you know, depression. I mean, alcohol calls to us. Mm-hmm. And we've seen it modeled, again, so many times, like on television. It's so refreshing to me when you see a show where people don't turn to alcohol to help them in their distress, right? And it's kind of unusual. Yeah, I think we're at peak alcohol worship. Yeah. For sure. It's terrifying because it's it looks funny and harmless, but on the long term, it really doesn't work out for anybody. Yeah, I mean, it used to be that um, if you're having a celebration, celebration was for celebration. And if you happen to have a, a drink or a toast involved, that was lovely. But now any celebration is an excuse for drinking. You know, mm-hmm. it's like if there wasn't drinking going on, why would you even do it? At least... I used to feel that way. I had to go to a wedding once where it was a weekend destination wedding and there was no alcohol. Were you rolling your eyes? Of course. I thought about bringing Ah. a flask with me, you know, because (gasps) who plans a wedding like that? I mean, what are they thinking? It turned out to be fabulous. It really did. And this was when you were still drinking and you still appreciated the fact that it was alcohol free? I did. I I didn't want to give the alcohol freeness the credit it deserved, right? I just yeah. said, oh, it was a great wedding. But the lack of alcohol had a lot to do with that. So today we have, I have a mocktail, a T-A-I-L for us that I'm calling the anti-teeny, anti-teeny. Anti-teeny. Yeah, instead of a quarantini. Yes, those have been popular. So I whipped this up using stuff that I already had on hand in my kitchen, like so many of us are doing. This is my my anti-teeny challenge. So here's the recipe. It's one cup of boiling water. You pour that over two ginger tea bags and then let it sit and come to room temperature. Then you pour that into a cocktail shaker. Add two tablespoons of honey and ice. You shake it up, and then you strain it into two chilled martini glasses. Add a splash of ginger ale to each one, and then you can garnish it. They say crystallized ginger chunks, but I didn't have any of those on hand, so I just used a Meyer lemon slice. And I'm sorry, but I don't have it made today, so we can't sample it. I apologize, but... um, that's it's okay. Delicious. We have to, we have, we're sheltering in place. We got to follow the rules. That's right. So, but let's, Lena, let's have one together later. Yes. Virtually. Okay. What do we have? We have two more weeks. Is that the rule? Or are they going to make us stay here till through July, like LA? That's what I'm really terrified about. Mm. <laughs> I guess we're going to find out. It's one day at a time, right? I know, I know. You can't keep asking questions because it changes every day. Do you have a story about 
using alcohol for coping, something like that? I do. I do. I, um, around 2006, I convinced my husband to move to Texas. (laughs) That took some doing. (laughs) It really did. But, you know, like I said earlier in this recording, I wasn't a great listener at this time. And I, I kind of just bamboozled him into mm-hmm. convincing him that moving to Texas was a better idea. We could actually afford a house, which wasn't true because when we ended up looking for houses, the pay rates were commiserate with how much houses were. So we would have really would have been in the same situation if we bought a home in the Bay Area. Right. Except now you're in Texas. Tex-ass, as my Aunt Barbara calls it. Tex-ass. I love Texas, but uh, only for a week. Anyway, (laughs) I bamboozled him into moving to Texas, which I think it took a while to heal. When we realized 11 months later it was a bad idea, and I kind of had to eat my socks and say, Mm. all righty, let's go back home. Let's go back to Mm. California. But I think it was... It took a while for us to kind of get back on track. And I think I definitely um, fell in with a group of gals that were all having kind of like similar marriage pressures. You know, everyone seemed to have like these early midlife crises when their kids were about nine or 10. Their marriages have been on autopilot because you're, you know, you're trying to navigate through those baby and toddler and early school years. And then you kind of wake up one day and you're like, oh, you know, to your partner, who are you? I I remember waking, having that waking up where I looked over at my partner and I felt like we were a couple of oxen who had been yoked together and we'd just been plowing down this field, right? For years. Yes. <laughs> Look over it's like, true. Who the hell are you? I think it happens to us all. If we're not, you know, you don't have the time or you're knee deep in raising children. It's, it's a lot. You have to put a lot into it. And I think for me, I just kind of went on autopilot assuming that we would always be okay, but I wasn't necessarily nurturing my marriage. So Mm -hmm. I fell into a bad crowd, Cynthia. (laughs) Oh, and I started going out to clubs and I, I didn't necessarily go out to clubs with the intention of being bad, but I think it was the club, the choice of the clubs and the groups that I was with you know, I'd always be dancing with a stranger and Mm -hmm. this and that. Mm -hmm. And I got to be known at this one club as Waldo. Why? Because (laughs) everyone called me Waldo because I was the only white girl. Oh, believe it or not. Yes. I went to an all all African-American club in Oakland because I love R&B music. It's always been a, a big part of my growing up. So I prefer R&B and rap and hip hop when I go dancing. And uh, you could always find me in a crowd. <laughs> so everyone <laughs> would see me at the club and they go, oh, hey, Waldo. Because you could pick me out like, where's Waldo? Mm-hmm. You know, oh my with God. my little stripy hat or whatever. No. But yeah, that became a running joke. But, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't being particularly lascivious or 
moving outside of my boundaries. You mean you weren't feeling single, seeing double? You know that old country song? Feeling was, single, I was feeling single, seeing double, wound up Ooh. in a whole lot of trouble. Anyway, go on. Sorry. You know what? I always got into a lot of trouble, but, you know, nothing involving any other men or whatnot. But I certainly would dance with a lot of strangers. And I'm sure, you know, looking back that I was probably being a little bit naughty. Um, Mm -hmm. And now that I see it from a sober perspective, there's no way in hell I'd go into those clubs now. I mean, I was probably risking... You know, I had a few situations where, you know, women would come up to me and be going, you know what, I think you're in the wrong club. And I would Mm go, oh, I'm sorry. I just, I came here to dance. But I did have a a long stretch of probably not making the safest choices and using alcohol as a coping mechanism to kind of let the steam off my marriage, you know, like Mm -hmm, a mm -hmm. crock pot or a steam pot, you know, kind of like let that steam out by going and being a little bit stupid, going to places that maybe weren't so safe and, you know, alcohol, not so safe. Yeah. Anyway, that was my short, short lived life as, as a club goer in in Oakland as, as the Waldo, the white girl. Oh, Waldo, the white girl. I, you know, I've been, I indulge in some of that same kind of stuff in the middle of marriage, in the middle of feeling stuck. So I can relate to it. I can totally relate to it. And, Mm -hmm. and it happens a lot where, especially us as women, you know, you add a bad choice about who you're with or where you are, right. And then throw in some inebriation, And unfortunately, some bad things can happen. And it's just the way that it is. It's just the way the world is. And alcohol isn't helping in that case. Mm -mm. I have a story about coping with my problems with alcohol. This is from my 20s. I was living in a resort. Okay, let's call it Ketchum, Idaho, which is where Sun Valley is. And I had this, I had a boyfriend who I was just crazy about him. And um, he had quite a little bit of a drinking problem. And though I didn't see it that way, I just thought he was a lot of fun. But he was a bartender, first of all. And He was drinking every night pretty heavily. And I was too when I was around him. Well, one night we were going to go car camping. And so we had loaded up some food and some booze into the trunk of his old car. And we stopped by the bar for him to go in and get some ice for the cooler. So I'm sitting out in the car. I'm waiting. And I don't know, about 15, 20 minutes go by and he still hasn't come out with the ice. So I decided I'd go in after him and see what was up. Well, I go in there and he introduces me to this girl who he's just met. He's sitting at the bar having a beer and a bump. Okay. And he says, I want you to meet Scruffy. Isn't she cute? And I'm like, who the hell is Scruffy? 
And he had just met her. She was a new waitress at the bar. And he had given her a nickname already because she had, you know, like dirty feet or something. I don't know. But um, he left with me and we went car camping and he got drunk and passed out. And then the next day I didn't hear from him except that I looked out the window. This was a very small town. I looked out the window of my house and I saw him and his new girlfriend getting out of, I could see his house from my house, but getting out of uh, his car and going So wait, did you house, spend the night right? in the car? Yeah. So um, we went out to this campsite and yeah, we spent the night, yeah, in the car. And then Rude. he dropped me off. And, but then the next day he's got a new girlfriend. And I remember looking out the window and letting this reality sink in and not knowing what to do, just feeling really devastated and upset. I thought about calling my mom and I thought, who can I talk to? And the truth is, is that I wasn't very resourced at the time, right? Like if something like that was happening to me now, I'd have a long list of people who I could call, right? And say, my heart's broken. This has happened to me. What should I do? How can you help me? And somebody would have had some comforting words for me, but I really didn't have anyone to turn to. So instead, I reached into the refrigerator and had a couple of glasses of wine. And then I headed downtown to go partying, right? To get yourself a new boyfriend. That's right. And (laughs) you had to have alcohol, right? So I ended up getting pretty loaded and I woke up. (laughs) the next morning in my house and found that I was on a real coyote date. You know what I'm saying when I say that? I've never heard of this term. I think this is something like quaaludes where we just don't do them anymore. (laughs) No, I think people still do this. It's where you wake up and you realize that you've spent the evening with somebody who if you had been in your right mind, you would not have done so. And, or maybe it's a complete stranger, right? But it's just like a coyote who's got her leg caught in a trap. Um, You would rather chew your leg off than, than wake this person up. So you had beer goggles the night before and brought home somebody (laughs) not so cute. Yeah, it was bad. And, you know, there was just the shame and the humiliation and the regret, all of that piled on top of a horrible hangover and, and the heartbreak that was still there, you know, oh. the heartbreak that I still experienced then for months afterward, whenever I would run into my old boyfriend. So he just ghosted you? He didn't? He didn't at least say, hi, I'm sorry, I have a new girlfriend. I've moved on. Did he just ghost you? Oh, yeah, total. Yeah, Uh, it was it. It was over. What a dick. Maybe about six months later, they must have not been doing so well. And he he knocked on my door one night, sort of like booty call style, right? Uh, And And said something like, something like, oh, when you broke up with me, Cynthia, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what do you mean? When I broke up with you, right? I don't remember that part. (laughs) He was confused. 
<laughs> a coyote date. You know, I can't help it. I can't help but just be sucked into a Joni lyric there. One of my favorite Joni songs is Coyote. Mm-hmm. Coyote's in a coffee mm-hmm. shop, staring a hole in his scrambled eggs. He picks up my <laughs> scent on his fingers while he's watching the waitress's legs. Mm-hmm. Do you know that one? I do. The next line is, I'm too, he's too, too far, far from the Bay, from of, the Bay Fundy. of Fundy. From mm-hmm. Appaloosas and Eagles and something. Tides. Okay. Tides. No regrets, Coyote. Ah! I don't have any re- regrets about any of those things that I did because it led me on the path I'm on. It led me to where I am now. It led me sure. ultimately to a marriage, to wonderful children, and now to a partnership with the handyman. All those things were fine, Mm -hmm. but I could have done it a little bit differently. I'd like to think. That's how we learn. I mean, I've, I've made so many grave uh, relationship mistakes early on. I was just lucky to meet mine kind of early in the game. So I think I avoided a lot of bad decisions with such an anchor of a dude in my life. (laughs) He is an anchor of a dude. Congratulations to you. And He is. My hairdresser said something funny the other day, and I never thought about it, but uh, she said, aren't we lucky that both of our guys don't have egos? Hmm. And I never thought of that, and it's true. I think that's why he's so grounded and pragmatic. He just, you know, I think that as well as with drinking, your ego is driving the car, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he's never been ego based. I had a problem with an ego and that's why drinking drove me around for so many years. <laughs> right. You were a willing passenger or a maybe an unwitting passenger in uh, ego's car, right? Yes. Oh, I'm just glad that your, your path has brought us together. So thank you, Sunny. Well, thank you. We got a moral of the story. I guess the moral is, hey, people, try not to use alcohol as your coping mechanism. There's something else is going Mm -hmm. on that needs your attention. If you're feeling distressed, take a few breaths before you reach for the bottle and see if maybe you can come up with another way to address it. Definitely. Pick up the phone. (laughs) Resource of the week is um, something called In the Rooms. Like I'm going in the room, in the rooms.com. It's a free online recovery website, which is so important right now with um, shelter in place. We can't go to live meetings, but in the rooms.com will take you to Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, Narcotics Anonymous, OA, every other kind of A that you can imagine. You could be 24 7 online getting support. Mm. if you wanted to cool so check it out we'll put it in the show notes and we always welcome your mocktails or mocktails either one (laughs) we love recipes we love stories follow us on instagram at the mocktail hour and our facebook group is the mocktail hour all of our episodes to date are listed at our website mocktailhour.com And that's uh, Mocktail with a T-A-L-E. 
And, you know, tell some friends, subscribe, review, share, whatever you do in the world of podcasting. (laughs) We're here for you. And we'll see you on the next one. That's right. Cheers, everybody. Bye. Thanks again. See you next week. Bye. Bye.